0: So I was talking to my baby girl yesterday. She's pushing 40, but she's still my baby girl. And uh, we were talking about an incident that happened when she was about five. I was pastoring a church in Middle Tennessee, and we owned a little farm in the adjoining county, a little horse farm. And so uh, every Sunday after we were done, we would uh, commute back home. And Robbie, my wife, would take our little boy Jacob and, and Bethany always wanted to ride with me. I had a little short-bed Dodge Dakota pickup truck. And uh, any of y'all who've had pickup trucks know that and it, it was short-bed, so you know the back end wants to break loose pretty easy, so you have to be pretty careful. So we're riding uh, from Cannon County, and the county deserves its name. Cannon County was a shotgun county. Riding from Cannon County over to Warren County to our little farm. And Bethany's sitting there all strapped in. She's about five years old, blonde-headed. Uh, she is a force of nature, always has been, still is a force of nature. And uh, we had just had a little summer rain, so the roads were a little bit slippery. So as we're going, making our way through the twisty-turny uh, uh, back roads of Cannon County, we always took the, you know, the back way, uh, the back roads of Cannon County, we went around this kind of steep curve, and it was still wet. And don't you know, at the back end of the Dakota, broke loose. So here I am spinning around. And I spun right around in somebody's side yard. It was a little white farm, uh, a little white frame farmhouse, and the family was all sitting on the front porch. I guess they were enjoying the summer rain. So anyway, so I'm spinning out, and, 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 and the spin stop, but I'm still rolling. This is automatic, so I'm still in drive. So the wheels are trying to go this way, but I'm going that way. And so I'm sliding through their side yard, and I look in the rearview mirror and there's this telephone pole, you know, like a security light pole right there. I think I'm gonna hit that thing square. And I thought, well, I, but I don't have to. And so I just steered around it. I just literally, like you're backing up your truck, I just steered around it. And, and the truck slowly came to a, a stop, but the wheels are still wanting to go forward. And so I didn't even push on the gas, it just pulled right out of the yard and pulled right out in the road. And I'm going down the road, and the whole family's on the front porch looking at me. And I just waved at them, like, catch you next week. And that's not the end of the story. So, she ought to be terrified. She ought to be absolutely terrified. We get about two minutes down the road, and she looked at me and she said, Dad, don't you ever do that again. But that's my little girl. I've always told people, that Bethany would uh, go up against a grizzly bear with a switch, and I would pity the grizzly bear. That's just who she is. So now you know a little bit about me. You know a little bit. I drive too fast on rainy roads. And you know a little bit about my daughter, Bethany, um, because I told you a story. It's just in a story. We laugh because it's funny. I have another story to tell you about her. She was born in Central Baptist Hospital in Lexington, right down from where they play football on Nicholasville Road. Anybody know Lexington? Okay, so she was born in Central Baptist Hospital uh, to my first wife who passed with cancer when she was 30. So Bethany's from, from Carol, my first wife. And so, uh, not any real big problems with the birth or anything. But uh, the next day, when they turned us loose, the doctor, the pediatrician came in and said, She's a little bit jaundiced. You know, you probably need to bring her in tomorrow for a test. I said, Okay. So they gave the paperwork, and, and you know, I'm, we're wheeling my wife out, and we, we go home and have our first night, and then we come back in the next day. So they had given us specific instructions on where to go to do the lab work, you know. And if you don't know medical terms, this story's not going to be funny, but anyway, I don't care. So we pull in, and I'm the dutiful father. I'm like 24, 5, something like that, you know, and I'm carrying the little carry thing and helping Carol along, and we work our way into the lab, and I give the paperwork to the lady, and she looked at me, she said, Billy Rubin? I said, no, my name's Wendell. (laughs) So, (laughs) that really tells you a little bit about me. Uh, The guy's not right. (laughs) So, we want to talk about story. There's something You just don't think about story as being something that's sacred or holy unless it's about god or you know some crisis event with god Uh, but story is part of who we are i mean literally part of who we are and when we share uh, political persuasions there's a chance for argument when we share concepts or theological persuasions or philosophical ideas or whatever there's a chance for conflict which is fine. We need to dig into those things from time to time. But it's interesting that nobody ever argues over a story. You're sitting around a campfire, and somebody tells a story, and everybody's like totally into it. Nobody's like, no, no, that's a wrong story. Oh, no, I disagree with that story. That's just not the nature of storytelling. Storytelling unites us. Storytelling uh, cultivates empathy for each other. Storytelling, and we'll get into this in a minute, but storytelling we found in Pathway is something that actually I find myself in your story. As you share your story, it's like, oh, that's me, and I'm not the only one. And, and, I, and how did you deal with that? And people share how they dealt with it, and it's all of a sudden, well, then I've got a chance too. I, I can follow that road Did you know that uh, the the story that Pastor Adam read this morning, did you know that that shows up several times in the New Testament? Y'all knew that, right? In the book of Acts, he read the ninth chapter, and then it shows up again in the 22nd, and then again in the 26th chapter. Paul tells it twice. He tells it once to a crowd in Jerusalem, and he tells it another time to King Agrippa. And then he writes it again in the first chapter of uh, Galatians, just a, a snippet of it. So Paul is into telling his story. And, and I look at that, and I think, to, I mean, I paid big bucks to go to college and seminary and learn about the Scripture, you know. And I don't have any trouble with the Old Testament. I love those stories. I don't have any trouble with the Gospels. When I get to Paul, it's like, Ugh, dude, really? Some of the stuff he says is like, do you really want to say that? Do you want to tell half of the population to sit down and shut up? Think about that. That's literally what he said. You know, women, sit down, shut up. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but, and so some of the things he says, it's like, ah, did, um, 1 Corinthians 13, when he talks about love, doesn't that take you to another place? When, when, when you get into that, that particular scripture and you start reading it, you think, man, he has just taken me to a, a, a new level, either a new depth level, however you want to look at it. He's, he's taking me to a new place with Jesus, and it feels good, and it's right, and it's sacred, and it's you know? And then he turns right around and he starts bragging about all the things he's done, or he starts trying to manipulate people into give money or whatever. And you think, dude, what you were doing so well, and then, then you said this stuff. Some of y'all are smiling, like, yeah, I have problems with that too. I'm not being disrespectful of Paul, but you know what? When I read these stories, and I read all four of them in preparation for today, when I, when I read these stories of Paul's encounter with God, on the road to Damascus. And, and what's interesting is what Pastor Adam read gives the preface of, I was a killer and an imprisoner of believers. This, this is my backstory. This is what I, I was highly trained as a Pharisee in defense of Judaism. You know, I, not only am I a scholar, but I am zealous. I'm out there on the road making it happen for God. So this is my backstory. And then God saw otherwise, and we had that little conversation on the road, and, and I, I changed. I was totally transformed. And, it was, and I didn't do anything to make that happen. God made all of that happen. His, his grace, His providence, His love, He was totally the proactive dozer operator on that one. He did it all. So you got this guy who has worked and done the grunt work his whole life, to be intelligent, to be zealous, to be proactive. He's done all that. And now he's over here just kind of mush on the road, can't see, doesn't know where he's going. He, he literally has to be helped with, by Ananias before he could even see. These are all part of his story. And so when you, when I look at that, then I begin to think, now I understand why he flip-flops back, why he's a yo-yo back and forth, why he's like this intense, beautiful teaching about grace, and then over here, send me more money. I understand or keep these rules or make sure you're worthy of this or that. I mean, there's a lot of stuff over on the Pharisee side as well. It helps me understand it because now I know his story. Now I understand why he says what he says and why he does what he does. We, we are so divided now as a people. We are so divided. And I just wonder if part of it's because we've stopped telling our stories. We've stopped listening to each other's stories. Can I tell you about the time I spun out on the road with my little girl? You know? That didn't something, didn't, haven't you had something a little bit like that happen to you? And you're like, yeah, I've been there too. Yeah, and, and I didn't expect it to turn out the way it did, but it did. And, and the story unites us. There's, um, I want to make sure I get these points across. But there's empathy in sharing stories. There's unity in sharing stories. And there's discovery. Those three things. Remember that. There's, there's unity, there's empathy, and there's discovery. And it's not just I discover who you are, but I discover who I am in your story as well. And, so, and then I want to talk about three more things, and then I'll be finished. Well, okay, so first thing is, I started today with a funny story on purpose. We need to tell a lot of funny stories, y'all. Turn on the TV. Turn on the news. It's all bad. The world is falling apart. When we tell funny stories, we're, we're being defiant against that. We're saying, no, but life still has a chuckle in it. There's still humor in what's going on. Do you think God is up there wringing his hands over what's going on? No, he's not, because he's got all kinds of stuff up his sleeve. I think sometimes God's actually giggling, saying, what's what I'm gonna do here? But we don't pick that side of it, see? So we need to tell our humorous stories. We need to, to share them with each other. Life is worth laughing at. That's not a trite statement. Life is worth laughing at. So that's one thing. I think we need to tell our humorous stories. And the other thing is, is, is kind of what Paul did here. I think we need to share our crossroads stories, our, our life-changing stories. Um, the old-timers called it our testimony. We still call it that so in pathway. We, just need, we need to share those encounters that we've had with God, either through maybe in a conversation with another person Maybe in a conversation with your child where they said something, it's like, oh my gracious, they just taught me something. I'll never forget this. Those encounters that we have that, that are, are paradigm shifters, those stories need to be told. It, it, I'm not here to lay guilt on anybody, but do we really wanna keep those in our pocket? Do we really wanna keep those under the table? Those are things that need to be shared. We, ah, this sounds too, too obligatory, whatever, but we owe that to each other. I owe it to you to share my story. You owe it to me to, sh- we need, we, we're not gonna have empathy or unity or discovery without it. We need to share our stories with each other. We love to argue concepts and we love to argue politics and we love to argue theology and philosophy and all that. We like to argue all this stuff. How's that working? It's time that, it's time that we started to share our life-changing stories with each other and, and see where that goes. So the humor stories, the life-changing stories, and then this is where I live, so I apologize, I have to share this as well. But we need to share our trauma stories with each other. This is what I do as Pathway Pastor, we 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 create a safe place for people to be able to share their story. There's a stigma about pathway. And every time I get a chance to speak to the bigger church, I, I try to get it across. We are not, we are not a recovery ministry for alcoholics and alcohol and drug addicts. Dr- alcoholics and drug addicts are more than welcome and they find help there and they find healing there. But our ministry has expanded so far past that. That we are just, we want to create a safe place where people can find hope and healing for, the, for their wounds. Because nobody escapes childhood trauma free. I'm sorry. You don't. My parents were really good, but they messed up. And Robbie and I tried to be really good parents to our kids. We messed up. And now I'm watching Bethany, as cool a person as she is. And we talked just yesterday, and she said, "Yeah, I know I'm messing up. It's, it's nobody escapes childhood trauma free. So just get that out of your brain. It's not. It, it won't happen. And trauma cries out for healing and hope. It's not going to sit quiet. If you have trauma in your life, it's like an overpacked PB and J." You bite in one side and, the, and it squirts out the other, and you turn it around and seal off that side, and it squirts out another. You cannot sit on trauma. You can't medicate it. You can't preoccupy yourself. You can't. It is going to come out some way, and so that's what Pathways about, and that's what telling your trauma story is about. It's about it's, it, it, and we got a saying. I mentioned it in the earlier service. It's, and and I didn't like these little trite sayings when I first got in there, and I thought, oh, I, I don't like the sound of that, but it's so true. You're only as sick as your secrets. Think about that. You're only as sick as your secrets. So to keep your trauma story, try to lock it down or to try to medicate it or try to numb it or whatever. It does not produce health. It produces sickness. It produces more trauma in your life. It has to be told. It has to be gotten out in the open and without being too instructional let me tell you the discovery we've made it's a it's a formula okay i used to say no it's not a formula but it kind of is a formula so let's just call it what it is it we call it think write tell think write tell the first thing we have to do is to is to be willing to think about our trauma i don't want to think about that no, that brings up too much pain. No, I, I've already, uh, you know, I, I went to a therapist. I talked about that. Well, why is it still bothering you? Now, I don't want to, I don't, just let dead dogs lie. Let bygones be bygones. We have to think about our stories. It takes courage. It takes willpower. It takes patience, but we have to think about our stories. And when we do, we start to realize we've got, I used the snakes in the earlier service and I'm not going to we got monsters under the bed, not snakes, monsters. It's, it's easier to live with monsters. So we got monsters under the bed and now we know it because we've thought about it. <coughs> we might can even name some of those monsters, but we've thought about it. So that's the first step. And then the second thing we do is we write those stories down. Even, even if you don't like to journal, even if you don't like to write, just do it in shorthand. Do it in your own code language. Write down some of those stories, little snippets of them, little bits and pieces of those stories. And when you do, you begin to identify those monsters. You begin to call them what they are and who they are. Write about what happened. Write about how it made you feel. Write about how it's impacted your life since then. But write about the monsters. Think, write, and then find somebody you trust. I'm not going to tell you my dirty secrets. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, but I might tell Adam. I might tell Lewis. I've got brothers here who I've been in group with and who I'm close to. You find somebody you really trust and you, you share your story with them. And what's interesting is thinking it is it's still all mumble-jumble. Writing it kind of gets it organized. Now i got my monsters lined up in a row. I can identify them. They're in a lineup. Writing it does that, but telling it just, it takes the mask off. It takes the scary away. It's like, yeah, I know you're here, but you no longer have any power in my life. You don't have power to make me do what I don't want to do and feel like I don't want to. You don't have any power anymore. So telling our trauma story is, we've all had trauma. Let's, let's just stop saying we haven't. We've all had trauma. And, and, and to not tell it is just to cheat ourselves out of health and hope. If, if you want hope and healing, you tell your story. You find somebody safe and you tell it to them. Well, okay, that's kind of heavy. I know. So I want to tell you another funny story. Can I tell you another funny story? We'll close with a funny story. I told this one earlier. I didn't see like Adam and Lewis and several are following around from service to service. I don't want them to have to hear the same story. You already know what happens, but is it okay to tell it? I'll laugh this time. Oh, okay. <laughs> He'll laugh this time too. So my, my wife now, Robbie... She's at home, she'll come to the 11 o'clock service. My wife uh, had a twin, his name was Bobby, and he just passed uh, not too long ago. Bobby was a man of of men. I don't know if y'all know what this saying means, but the word, when I first met him, the word on the street was, he's tougher than a pine knot. Anybody know what that means? And after I, I mean, I split wood with him by the hour, and I thought, whoa, this guy's a man. And I my, my came up with my own saying, Bobby could tear up an anvil. Yeah, I mean, he was that tough. Um, crazy as a loon. Uh, do you remember K-cars? Do you remember those, the Dodge K-car? They just like mass produced them like matchbox cars. He had a yellow one and I had a beige one when we first, when I took the church where he was, where he and Robbie grew up. And we were going down Cherry Springs Road, a little two-track two Country road, not even paved, just kind of gravelly. And we're going like sixty miles an hour, and he's coming right at he's coming off work and I'm going home. And I thought, I wonder what he would do if I started driving British style all of a sudden. We're going sixty miles an hour. So I just switched sides of the road. We're hit he just switched over to the other side. So we I know what it's like to drive in Britain now. We passed each other sixty miles an hour. So anyway, we were going to a family gathering at uh Pop-on and, and grannies, that's what we called them. That's their parents. We went to Pop-on and grannies for, all, I think it was the 4th of July. And their house, their frame house where Robbie grew up was up on a hill. And the rest of the farm kind of fell down from that. So there was a plowed field across a dry branch where they had just worked it up for beans. And he had a filly named Tiny that nobody could break. She just had a disposition that just was... She just wasn't very nice. So his other brother, Wayne, was holding Tiny, and Bobby was trying to get on top of Tiny, and every time he did, she bucked him off. And I mean, some of the acrobatics that happened, it was unreal. So we get out of my truck up here, or car, I guess, and and so I'm starting down, because I want to be part of the action, but there's a pretty good-sized walk, or pretty good-length walk to get down there. So I'm walking down the hill, and I mean, from top to bottom, It was at least three good buck-offs. Might have been more than that, but I mean, the guy is just getting torn up, and he's landing in this plowed field, so he's got mud all over him. He's got sweat running all over him. He's got blood coming out of several places, and he's just haggard. You could just, you know, he's got his hands on his knees, and and, uh, so when I got up to him, Wayne, big brother Wayne's got tiny by the halter, and Bobby's got his hand on the horn. He's fixing to get up on the On the horse, and he looked at me, and he said, "I don't know how much more of this she can take." (laughs) That's Bobby. So, if you want to know who my wife is, Bobby was just the male version of his twin sister Robbie. She's that tough too—not with horses, but she's that tough. So, anyway, do we do do we kind of remember the points today? that we wanna share our humorous stories, we wanna share our crossroads stories, and we wanna share our traumatic stories. And our traumatic stories, we need to think them, we need to write them, and we need to tell them. One more thing, I had a grandfather that was an unbelievable storyteller. He would finish a story and all of us gathered around his feet would say, tell it again. The same story, tell it again. That's how good he was. I have three grandkids. Bethany has had three kids. And they love I'm pa to them. They called me pa. They love for pa to tell them stories. And I, I think this is the coolest thing ever, to be able to pass down what my grandfather did to me and to do that with my grandkids. And you know the question I've asked, because I know we have a lot of parents with children still in the home here today. What I thought was I tell my stories to my grandkids is, why didn't I do this with my kids? Why didn't I share with my kids the time that I flunked out of class or didn't make the team or struggled with failure or had some girl break my heart? Why, why didn't I share that with my kids? It, it, would have cha- it would have completely changed the relationship I had with my children if I'd have told them my story instead of waiting and telling their offspring my story. So after everything I've said this morning, I, th- I see it on your faces. We're like, you know, story is pretty important. Sharing our story is pretty important. It's probably some of the best stuff we can give to each other to share our stories. Let's talk to Jesus. Jesus, you're part of our story. You're a huge part of our story. And you weren't satisfied to be part of it from far away. You came and jumped right in the mix with us so grateful. We're so proud to be part of your story and you to be part of ours. So help us to discover the joy of sharing our stories. And we'll talk to you later.